Hello and welcome to the Champagne Lounge. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Champagne Lounge podcast. Uh, as you'll know by now, if you're a regular listener on this podcast, I interview all our wonderful members about who they are, what they do and why they do it. Today, I'm joined by the fantastic Josephine Lankumba, who is a performing arts business coach, speaker and talent manager. Uh, welcome to the show, Josephine. Hello. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to deep dive into this because from a background in video production myself, the idea of being a talent manager, for me, your job is like herding cats. <laughs> <laughs> it can be. It definitely can be, especially because um, a lot of the, like I've worked with adult talent and youth talent, but I do specialise in youth talent. So if you think of it from that perspective, herding, you know, cats, like you said, <laughs> with talent, imagine the parents of the talent. Oh. So there you go. Oh, I can, another I can only imagine. I can <laughs> only imagine. Now, that's it's a big project to get into. It's a lot of people yeah. management. How did you get into the creative arts and the performance arts space? And what's your, yeah. what's, tell us a bit about your background as to why you do what you do. Yeah, so I, I've always sung. Um, as Since I was a little girl, I loved to sing. I had a great influence from my older sisters who were into music and dance and the performing arts. Uh, so I witnessed that growing up. I loved it so much that I decided at one point, you know, that it was really something I wanted to pursue as a career. I was always the kid in the musical theatre show at school and, and, and the school band, you know. Um, but, you know, I do come from the school of hard knocks. I've had to sort of make my own way in the world. I was, you know, out there at 14, like, you know, paying my own rent and, and living in the world. So wow. that was always challenging. But the arts was something that was my safe place. It, it never changed. The feeling I had around it was always consistent. Um, so, you know, I went and got some jobs doing the things you're supposed to do. You know, yeah. I went and worked in an office and did reception at 18 and all the bits. And I just was never fulfilled. I just knew uh, I was destined to be in the performing arts. So I pursued it. I went and studied full time in a musical theatre course and then travelled interstate and, and did a couple of years full-time training. Came back and loved it. Became, you know, an artist myself. I got to perform uh, on stages and on screens for quite a while, definitely over a decade. I still dabble in here and there now. I do the odd um, presenting gig and whatnot, some commercial work. Yeah. But really there was a period where I just saw myself as an artist. And then... Uh, I transitioned into being the artist who, you know, dabbled in business. And yep. then the business side of me really took the forefront and I actually preferred going behind the curtain, to be honest. Uh, so it, it did transition over time. But, yeah, I started working for other organisations as a talent manager and, you know, for promotional companies and managing the artists. And I loved it, fell in love with it. So, eventually when I had my first child I decided it was time to hang up the microphone I was still gigging I was gigging I was playing Sporty Spice in a tribute show <laughs> you have to dig up the photos um, of that one <laughs> actually and you wouldn't know it now looking at me you know two kids later in life but um, yeah, I was Sporty Spice, just putting it out there. And I was like four months pregnant and I was still Sporty Spice. And there was a point where I'm like, okay, this is not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So I hung up my microphone and um, just deep dived into the world of business, opened up a performing arts studio, uh, started my own talent agency in-house and was very much into the programming side of performing arts. So developing programs and workshops and facilitating them, you know, for different councils and schools and my own studio and, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of a long story short, but that's where I yeah. am today. And and then, yeah, and then getting into uh, performing arts business coaching and showing others how to do what I've done over the last two decades of my life, you know? Amazing. And, and so business, like, so I'm from a creative background, but not in the performing arts space, right? And I know that there's a lot of people that are in the creative arts in whatever remit they're in that really struggle with the business side and the making money side. So yeah. what was it about business for you that was like the bright shiny thing of oh I really want to learn more about this and dive more into the business side of of creative yes. production yeah I love this because you're absolutely right uh that is why I became a performing arts business coach nearly two years ago now to teach others in my space performing arts studio owners and creatives how to actually see themselves as a business and it is difficult because the arts is not necessarily perceived that way but it absolutely is a business it can be lucrative and there's money to be made and you can actually live a comfortable life from the arts but unfortunately uh, we tie our passion too deeply into the business side so you know, it's it's the same old thing. I'll do this for exposure or I'll just do it because I love it. And, you know, and it just doesn't work. But um, the business side of it really came about. It was funny. I was I was on a walk with a friend and this was a decade ago now. And I still remember this walk and conversation, but I was working for an, another company running workshops for them and I was like complaining oh they're so disorganized they don't know how to do this they don't know <laughs> what if we could do it and she's like well why don't you just do it yourself and I was like oh what do you yeah. mean <laughs> so well, just why don't you run it why don't you become the business why don't you create the programs and I went oh yeah that sounds like a good idea <laughs> So, um, and, you know, I grew up, my, my um, parents were entrepreneurial. They always had businesses in the hospitality space, but still always I grew up around business. Um, mm. So, yeah, so it didn't seem that far-fetched to do it. Uh, and I just started and I started really badly and I made a lot of mistakes and I didn't value myself and I probably gave things away for far less than I should have or did too many things for free or didn't value my time. But that's the learning process, you know, and I think that's I something think that I definitely share with my coaching clients. Like it's just a process and you can't, you know, you can't regret the time you spent. Sometimes I think, oh, I wasted five years in this project when I really should have moved on earlier or, you know, but this is the process, isn't it? You know, completely. I think every business owner has the ups and downs and the, oh, should have finished that earlier or, oh shouldn't have done it like that and you learn the whole way so on that what have been the biggest mistakes that you made at the early stages give us the juicy um, details yeah I think um because you know like I said come from a hard knock background didn't see myself as someone who had the confidence or even the like even though I was presenting myself quite confidently outwardly mm. inside it was quite <laughs> 
<laughs> it was quite difficult because I was like, oh, I can't do this by myself. I don't know how to do this. I didn't, I always felt like I didn't have enough money to get started and all that sort of stuff, right? In the very beginning. Um, so I partnered with people. I made some really poor business partner decisions. Um, and I partnered with them just because of the fear of doing things on my own or feeling like that they were above me. So not seeing myself as an equal in the partnership. So I'd step into these collaborations and partnerships and they'd always go really badly. And I always question, why is it all going so badly? But I've come to realize recently that the reason these partnerships went very badly was because I was walking into them uh, less than. So I just wasn't right. backing myself. I wasn't walking in as an equal and I was walking in, you know, thinking that they were the expert and I was going to learn everything from them. But really, truly, that wasn't the case. So I had to learn the hard way very much. So when it came to really poor business partnership decisions, uh, that probably set me back quite a few years, to be honest. Um, yeah. Some other things as well, I think, you know, just knowing that you don't have to, the excuses, the narrative in my head, like, because if you don't come from money, you know, oh, they've made it because they come from money or that, you know, that that really negative money mindset, mm -hmm. that took me quite a long time to overcome too. So now I don't think like that at all. Um, you know, I have an abundance mindset and I try to really, I work on that, but that in itself was debilitating when I was comparing myself to others and thinking negatively instead of going, oh, okay, well, they've got that and that's okay and I'm here and they're there and that's that's okay too. So just comparing myself to others and thinking negatively about myself, it was really a confidence journey, um, but mm. definitely a lot of work went into that. Yeah, I think a lot of people will struggle, particularly coming from the creative space of trading their passion for money mm. doesn't come naturally, particularly when you've got a society and a culture around us that doesn't necessarily value it, right? Like, or, you know, it's, um, I was having the conversation just now over coffee of someone said to me for an upcoming event, we need to find a photography sponsor. And I was like, no, we need to find a corporate sponsor that will pay us money to pay the photographer to do their job. And they said, but we can't, we couldn't, we just get a sponsor for that. Yeah, yeah, but that's an individual person. That's their livelihood. And I would far rather feel better in paying them to do that than um, getting asking them to do it for yeah. free. And so I think there's a huge cultural shift that's got to happen around respecting the creative arts from an external perspective, as well as that internal perspective of you're right, that mindset of I am worth this. I can charge this. I can live my life this way. Um, yes. And are you seeing those struggles now through the people that you're coaching and training? Are they the Absolutely. same as the struggles that you went through? Yes. And it doesn't yeah. matter where they are. So they could have had their, you know, studio business for 20 years, one year. I think that's when people start coming to me is when they're like, I really want to grow. I want to thrive, but they just can't see a way forward. So that's where I help them untangle that and really, you know, come up with that strategy. But we see it so often in my industry, especially in a community space. So if you think of a, you know, let's say a performing arts studio, you send your kid there or you go there to do some classes. Yeah. Um, you know, you get to know the teachers, you get to know the studio owners. So uh, like, for example, one of the key lessons is just implementing a direct debit service or not allowing people into your classroom that don't pay. This is a new, this is almost like revolutionary concept for my <laughs> industry. It's like, what do you mean? Direct debit. Oh, but people aren't comfortable with direct debit. I get that all the time. 
aren't they? Yeah. Are they paying direct debit at the gym? Are they? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So why not you? It's because of this community mindset. They people feel like because it's a creative thing, they they get to know the owner, that sort of thing. There's no detachment that they can just um, sort of determine how how they want to be a customer rather than the business saying, "Hey, this is how we operate." You know, this mm -hmm. is how these are our policies. This is how we operate. Um, even today, I've got a client, you know, that hasn't paid and, and I've told my, um, you know, my admin support person that they need to just contact them and let them know, unfortunately, they can't, but they can't attend classes anymore until that bill is, is satisfied, you know, and, and resolved. People feel uncomfortable about that conversation. But yes. I often say, would you, would you walk into a store, pick up a t-shirt, walk out and say, oh, you know, I'll pay you later. Give no bank details or any. I'll just, I'll see you, yeah, next week. Is that okay? Maybe Monday or Tuesday and I'll pay for that T-shirt. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> you wouldn't do, do it, it, would you? It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. Yeah. It wouldn't happen. And so, you know, even in the arts um, in relation to professional performing artists, you know, and, and being a talent agent, I, I advocate for the arts. You know, I'm on the standing committee of Ausdance um, New South Wales, um, which is a volunteer position. And I very much believe, you know, in the in the emotional um, benefits and all of these things that come with the arts. But at the same time, artists need to be paid for what they do. So that's, I mean, that's my job as an agent as well. You know, I advocate for the artists. I ensure that they are getting what they deserve and, and you know, not signing their life away for next to nothing. And we do see that even from big corporations. And sometimes someone needs to be an advocate and pull their socks up and say, hey, wait a minute, you can't ask for in perpetuity, which is forever and ever, on a $200 yep. gig. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that's not cool. So just just um, just being mindful of those sorts of things as well. And even big companies, like you said, even, you know, the sponsorship thing. Yeah. Expecting it's, the photographer to come in and do it for free. But why? You yeah, know, it's, I just, it's yeah, a really it my mind. It's a really baffling thing. And um, back in 20, I'm going to say 2018 now, I've lost sort of all track of time, as most of us have over the last few years. Uh, we produced a feature <laughs> film. And one of the things we were really hot on was making sure I was really hot on, we self-funded it, was paying everybody on set. And so mm. the crew got paid, the talent got paid, uh, the, all the, everyone got paid, albeit the bare, award, bare minimum of the award, but there were yeah. contracts in place and everyone got paid. And it's something I'm still very much proud of because in the space, it's that case of, as you just said, not getting paid what they deserve or not getting paid at all or getting paid, yeah, well, pay you eventually when this thing finally makes money, but we need you to invest your time and your energy now. And so one of the things that I'm really hot on is, is doing that. And I, I know you're very similar in that space, mm. but as a corporate or a business owner listening to this that goes, okay, well, this is all well and good, but I don't know what people should be being paid. You know, I don't know what that looks like or how do we even have a conversation or get a contract in place and how do talent managers even work? Is that an extra fee I've got to pay on top? Where can they go and learn and understand how to do it better, how yeah. to do better practices in this space? Well, there are actually industry standards. So like you mentioned, the minimum award, there are actually mm. awards for our industry. People just don't know about it because they haven't bothered to look. <laughs> um, so you can start there, but they're like in Australia anyway, there are organisations like meaa.org. Yep. Uh, these are places where you can find out. I think it's called Media Entertainment Arts Alliance. Um, but or you can even just contact, you know, whoever it is that, you know, determines minimum wage in your in your state or territory. 
and just ask the question, hey, I want to do this project. These are the type of people I need. I'm going to employ a photographer and an, and an actor. Where do I find the minimum award, please? And they'll point you in the right direction. You know, I think it's important because, yes, even like you said, it might be a minimum, but it is an important factor. Um, I think too often, even as business owners, like I said, I, I'm working with studio owners as a coach, but even business owners, they have come from that industry. So even when they step into the business realm, it's like carrying it with them, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, I find even photographers and any creatives to be quite the same. I work a lot with photographers and videographers and it's a, it's a similar mindset. Yeah, very, I'd agree very with that. often I've been to events where photographers are not being paid and they're working for experience or um, exposure. Exposure. My favorite word. hated word. Yeah. <laughs> and there yeah. is some element, you know, that like if you're, you know, a young up and coming emerging um, creative and you want to get some runs on the board, sure. But how mm. many years does one need to do free work for exposure? You know? So that's yeah. something that I think is really important. But but I see it with studio owners, the fear of asking for payment and all that jazz. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's a recurring thing in creatives, but I think it's something we definitely can overcome. And absolutely, I think it's up to those corporate bodies and other people that are actually enjoying the art to value it. I mean, even when you go out to watch a movie, what, what do you think you're watching? You're watching art. People don't think about it in that context, you know? No. No, they don't. And you, I, we could talk about this and go down a total tangent on, 100%. I watched through all the streaming series and I'm like, we just have all of this on such demand and going, you know, I know how much we got paid to put our movie that we spent such a long time making to be available on stand and go, you look at it and go, wow, was it, it's not financially worth it. You know, how do these people make money and how's the industry surviving? And it's yeah. such an interesting Thing, I think to look at when you say you're, you're watching these arts it's skills and it's crafts that have gone into creating this stuff that we take for granted every mm. single day um my so son, as a oh sorry I just want to say this because this was super cute but my son he's only six and yesterday he asked me a really odd question he said mom why do we have music like what's the point I said well do you enjoy music he's like yeah I said okay so that's the point and I said he, and I tried to explain it to him to a six-year-old I said music is life it's enjoyment it's laughter it's bringing friends together it's parties you know like this is the thing so I mean I'm I'm ingraining that into my yeah. <laughs> I'm like you better recognize kid but um <laughs> but yeah I think it's really interesting that came from a six-year-old so you know yeah. I just think it's something that um we do have to educate our young ones too. bring them to the theater go and you know talk about you know the art and talk about going to see a film and that those people are actually actors and that's a job you know like I think if we start having start having that narrative it will it'll change as the years progress I love that and I think that's such a tangible thing for mm. anyone listening to take away of just having those conversations in the right way so we've mm. touched on how corporates can do or big organizations can do better, how we can bring the next generation into the conversation, which I think is amazing. If I'm a creative listening to this now, you obviously touched on, you know, making sure your payments are up to date and that kind of thing um, as a business owner. But what are the, what's a tangible thing that people can listen now and go, I can go and implement that or at least think about implementing that in my creative space that will make it better. 
I think, um, so we talk a lot about attracting clients into our business, but I think retention is such a major part of any business, no matter what you do. And, I, and, I, and I've been really focused on actually uh, re-enrollment and retention month in my uh, membership at the moment. And I think if we can equally focus on how we can love up our customers, show them we care, and give them something to look forward to and keep them for longer. It's as good as a new client. If you've got one client who's gonna buy from you ongoing month after month, year after year, it's as good as attracting a new one. So it's better because it's, it's less better. effort once you get them in. Like it's 100%. less effort. <laughs> so, yeah. so um, you know, I've I've been spreading a bit of love around that this month. Um, even just simple things like, you know what's on a what's on schedule if you can just have a six to 12 month plan ahead and share that with your community so that they have something to look forward to like oh wow you know october we've got a halloween party this month that's awesome well i'm not going to leave the membership i'm not going to leave this program i'm not going to leave this 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 universe that i'm loving because i want to go to that party or hey we've got this amazing masterclass or workshop happening um next year in march well if I leave now, I'm going to miss out. So I'm going to stick around for that. A simple what's on schedule, which is a one to two page PDF, is such an easy thing to do for customer love. But I'm big oh, on so customer easy. love. Like I'm very yeah. different to most studio owners. Um, for example, I when people join us and they're kids, we have kids in our space, we courier to them a little box, a welcome pack that has their T-shirt inside, but it's wrapped in tissue paper and confetti with a note and... Like I just, that the people will say, but that costs extra. And most studio owners will throw the t-shirt over the counter at reception. I don't do that. I want them to receive it as a parcel with their name on a written in gold pen. Like we go the extra mile. Yeah. And that means we can charge a little bit extra because we're, I'm not claiming to be the cheapest, you know, I'm claiming to have quality and be the best. And so, you know, those little things, that customer love element is so important for retention. So I would say if anything, especially coming into the new year, if we can have a retention strategy in place, not just a client attraction strategy in place, that to me is golden. You know, and that's phenomenal. Yeah, and I think it's it's good to actually just keep in mind that you mentioned two things. It was one was element pretty much free, right? Creating a PDF of the schedule. That's not going to cost free. you anything, but a little bit of time to just put it on a piece of paper, but, and also options of spending that little bit of money as the wow factor that these things don't have to cost the earth to keep clients coming back and being customers and being part of your world yes, year after absolutely. year after year. And, which and I want to say something as well, when you create something, communicate it. This is the, this is the, the pitfall of creatives because we want to create. So we just keep creating. Oh, yeah. And then we don't actually share the thing we've created to its like really leveraged capacity. So you know what I mean by that, right? So you oh, might yeah. do the what's on schedule, <laughs> but then you just dump it in an email and that's done. That's Instead done. Of putting you... it on a poster in the studio, putting it, pitting it in the top of your, your, you know, WhatsApp group, whatever, like, you know, um, printing it out, giving it as a laminated copy to all your members, like whatever, making a fridge magnet, like, <laughs> you know, all I'm of just those saying, things. yeah, yeah, it's like, all the people. <laughs> you feel like you're on repeat. You yeah. feel like you're on repeat, but you need to be, right? You need to be doing that. And I think that's something that is, you're right, so underrated that it's not, it's not just done once you've created it and put it out once. And that also, 
one, I, as soon as I've that changed in that, my mind, yeah. pardon? I've been guilty of that, by the way. I have we done that have. as a creator. I've created productions or video clips and, and I've just dumped yeah. them and then gone, no strategy, buy next, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's so easily done. But as soon as you change that mindset, you know, it can turn into, oh, well, that's created me social content and other content and email yes. content off the one thing. And as soon as I got that as a creative, I'm like, oh, my to-do list has kind of gone down now because I've got less to create and less to make, which um, is part of the process. But I love that. I love that retention strategy and that focus on retention. And it's something that I love to do. And I also like to receive the gifts. I like to receive gifts as much as I like to give them. It's always a little bit of joy. So, Joe, you're on the podcast because you are a member of the Champagne Lounge. What? Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to take this for attention a little bit further and say to you, like, why, what sparked the joy of becoming a member here and why, why do you want to continue being part of the community? Well, I actually came to see you live in Sydney at your champagne, is it champagne lounge tour? You did a road show. I did. I did a road show. Yes. yes. So I thought oh, I'll go down. Yeah. Why not <laughs> go and check it out. Go and check it out. Yeah. I thought it was super fun. I actually didn't join immediately after that. It, it took me, mm. I, I joined a month later. Um, I started seeing people talking about the Champagne Lounge. I thought, oh, I've got to get into this. But truly the reason I joined was because I think business is lonely. It really is. Uh, even someone who has, um, yes, I have an online business, but I also have a service-based business where you actually go into a studio. But let's be real. My staff love them dearly. We get on well, but we're not friends. Like I can't actually tell them the nitty gritties of the business or what I'm going through because I wouldn't want to share that with them because my job is to be their leader and mentor. And there's only, there's certain things that just aren't shareable. Mm. And sometimes, yeah, I do find myself not really having anyone to speak to about what I do. Even my partner, supportive, lovely guy, not not an entrepreneur. This is not his space. He doesn't want they to talk about my it. business all the time yeah. um, or even just the, the challenges of it. So I think the biggest thing for me was just having a community where I didn't have a to-do list and I could just jump in and have a conversation. And they're not always business conversations. They usually are. And we actually love that. <laughs> we don't think of it. <laughs> we're not bored that's the other bit so I yeah. do enjoy that part and I don't feel like I'm missing out if I can't make it or if I jump in you know 10 minutes after a session started it's no biggie like I just yeah. like the fact that it's not another thing to do because I've got enough to do you know all right exactly <laughs> hearing <laughs> so you say really that's weird. music music to my ears because it is the whole premise of it was to be easy and accessible and just give you connection and communication and a chat when you fancied it which um i'm glad from hearing you say that is it's doing its job which i which yeah. i love and i know that you've met a number of connections and friends and um that you've also helped each other out and jumped totally. in and it's been beautiful to watch the magic happen i actually met someone um in your group and we got on really well because we were talking about talent management and she was doing something and i was doing something whatever and then we happened to be in another networking group together and i posted a problem that i had on kajabi which is totally unrelated to the conversation we had but she was the first to jump in and go oh hey joe like she knew me yeah. from the champagne lounge hey joe hey this is how you solve that problem and she gave it to me and it fixed my technical issue 
which again was nothing to do with any conversation we'd had in the lounge. It was just, I posted something, she recognized me and she was in to help. And I think that that truly did come from us being connected. So, you know, it's just those little bits that you end up going, oh, wow, I know you from there. And, oh, we've met in the Champagne Lounge. That's nice. And so it's just those little connections that I think make a big difference. So you're not doing business alone, you know. Definitely. A hundred percent. And, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad we've ended this episode on that because you don't have to be lonely. There are people out there to support you in whatever way you need support. And so if you're listening to this as a creative and you want um, some help from Joe and just navigating that mindset piece, making your business a little bit more profitable and a little bit easier, I'll be linking all of her notes and um, her programs into the show notes below. Thanks for listening to the Champagne Lounge podcast. If you'd love to be part of our thriving community, head over to thechampagnelounge.com to join us.